0: Welcome to the Health Detective Podcast by FDM Thrive. We interview people who have dealt with the trickiest of health challenges, but eventually learn to get well and stay well naturally. Now it's time to hear from one of our detectives and learn how another health issue has been solved. We hope you enjoy the show. Had a lot of stories and labels around my sleep. I had it that I'm a short sleeper, I'm a bad sleeper, I'm a night owl, it's in my jeans, all of these things that it's like a fixed thing and really nothing to look at that much, just sort of survive it. And that's how it is for me. Um, and it was like that for many years. I got more. Um, My habits uh, often got even more solidified or even augmented. So over time, I'm going to bed later and later and later, uh, not noticing all of these things around my health that are starting to deteriorate, um, anxiety going up, having uh, shingles in my 20s, having the beginning of an ulcer. I mean, just a number of things that are showing that things are just not really working, how I'm managing things.
1: What is going on my friends and welcome back to another episode of the Health Detective Podcast by FDN Thrive. My name is Evan Transu aka Detective Ev and I will be your host for today's show. And I loved this show in particular because I had the privilege of talking to fellow biohacker, Miss Molly McLaughlin. And she is the creator of Sleep is a Skill and the host of the Sleep is a Skill podcast. Sleep is a Skill is a company that optimizes people's sleep through a unique blend of technology, accountability, and behavioral change. After navigating insomnia while traveling internationally, she created what she couldn't find, a place to go to learn the skill set of sleep. With a background in behavioral change from the nonverbal group, she became fascinated with chronobiology and its practical application to sleep and our overall experience of life. Knowing the difference between a life with sleep and without, she's now dedicated her life to sharing the forgotten skill set of sleep. I not only appreciate this from the biohacker perspective, but I also appreciate it from a personal perspective because I am someone that, even when I was deeply into the functional medicine world, I still could not figure out the sleep thing. I had been like eating organic and doing all these things that I thought were correct for probably three years, and I was still finding myself going to bed at one, two, or even three in the morning. I underplayed greatly how much it meant and that. Eight hours really isn't eight hours. I thought as long as I did like one to nine, it wasn't that big of a deal. Well, it turns out all hours are not created the same, especially when it comes to sleep. And that whole like nine to five, ten to six type of thing is so much better for us than a one to nine or a two to ten or oh my goodness, I hear some people doing four to twelve. I'm like, are you crazy? Do not do that. And most people would say, well, I wouldn't do that, but I don't know how to sleep. And that is what we will be talking about today. I had a blast with this conversation. There are very few people that I can go back and forth with on this topic. I am certainly not an expert in every single topic in the wellness space. I'm actually not an expert in any. But the light and sleep thing, I would put myself... That's definitely my strongest category. I'll put it that way. And it's very rare that I can have someone who just jumps back and forth with me with all the different studies and all these different things and then even surpasses me with that. So I found it impressive. Very fun to talk to her. Without further ado let us get to the episode. All right, cool. Hey there, Molly. Welcome to the Health Detective Podcast.
0: Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited for this conversation.
1: Yes. And for those watching on video and not just audio, you will see me with my blue light blocking glasses on, ones that are actually uh, measured under a spectrometer and not just bought randomly off Amazon. And I'm a huge sleep freak. I am someone who believes that this is a really neglected neglected topic in the functional space. And um, Molly and I were talking before, that's not to say that any good health coach or health practitioner wouldn't tell you that you need to sleep. It's just that for some reason, um, we have gotten in to the weeds with every little thing with diet um exercise whatever and yet some of the most valid science which is around sleep circadian biology and light just seems like oh well we're not going to talk about that because no one seems to be willing to do it it's almost uh too big of a task right it is objectively weird in today's world that i'm wearing these glasses even though there is science backing up that these absolutely work um even if i'm still exposing my skin to artificial light it still has a benefit although in a perfect world, we wouldn't do either. But I digress. Uh, We're going to learn a lot today, I think. And we're going to talk about how sleep is actually a skill. Um, So I'm curious, because I actually I don't know this about you. Were you someone that dealt with health issues or sleep issues before getting into this space? Or did you find yourself getting here another way?
0: Yeah, great question. And one, two, just thank you so much for having me, and for also just your own uh, clear passion and conviction on this topic, and living in alignment with that. To your point of often, it's outside of the bell curve uh, for us to be doing some of the things that can help with our circadian rhythm. So the fact that you're willing to be a pioneer is fantastic. So I'm excited to speak more. Um, but yeah, it is uh, a great question because it, I think it does um, further underscore and paint the picture for why um, why create a company around optimizing sleep, like what's, what's there. And certainly uh, my story I think helps with uh, the conversation because it was really just a, a conversation of uh, solving my own problem with my own sleep. And so what that looked like was... For many, many years, living as a um, serial entrepreneur in Manhattan, burning the candle at both ends, uh, not having any idea what time the sun is rising or setting and living, you know, a bit of a kind of like a vampire or what have you, going to bed late, waking up late, all of those things. I had a lot of stories and labels around my sleep. I had it that I'm a short sleeper, I'm a bad sleeper, I'm a night owl, it's in my jeans. Yeah. All of these things that it's like a fixed thing and really nothing to look at that much, just sort of survive it and that's how it is for me. Um, and it was like that for many years. I got more... Um, my habits uh, often got even more solidified or even augmented. So over time, I'm going to bed later and later and later. At some point, the sun is rising and I'm pretty much going to sleep and I'm justifying and I'm righteous about it. And I say, well, it's fine. I make my own hours. I can sleep in. Who cares? Uh, not noticing all of these things around my health that are starting to deteriorate um, anxiety going up having uh, shingles in my 20s having the beginning of an ulcer I mean just a number of things that are showing that things are just not really working how I'm managing things and it wasn't until I went um, uh, I was traveling internationally and kind of taking on the first steps of Tim Ferriss-type lifestyle, you know, digital nomad life. And uh, and with just the stress of running businesses on the road, my fiancé and I, um, that was my, – my stress level was so high that I got to a point that then the first um, clear symptom of that was just this – real inability to sleep and suddenly everything changed in the forefront became around how to heal this topic with sleep because I can't do anything when I'm not sleeping was kind of the experience. But also it felt like I'm losing my mind, like this is maddening, like this is I'm so anxious, all of these things. Um, and at my lowest point, I went to the doctors in Croatia and left with, you know, their version of Ambien and it was kind of that clear thing that I need to get up under this flash forward, really then went down the rabbit hole, understanding and learning all that I could around circadian rhythm entrainment, chronobiology, really the science of time conversation. Um, And it just changed my life so dramatically. And of course, uh, over time, then healed my sleep and not just getting back to homeostasis, because as I shared, my sleep wasn't that great before, but it really being able to objectively and quantifiably improve my sleep markers to a level that I never thought was possible for myself um, was just amazing. Like it changed my life. So I started working just organically with people that were struggling, just out of a place of empathy, one on one, small groups. And then it led to this creation of sleep as a skill. Now we're in hotels. We work with high performers, a lot of poker players, um, you know, UFC. And from that place, right. now we have just this whole creation around sleep optimization. We do um, a lot to help support people on wherever they might be to improve their sleep um, and really up level, even if you're really. Um, advanced in your sleep stage, And for all of us, I mean, I'm always looking for ways to up level this area.
1: Yeah. All right. Awesome. Start to this. And I I actually really um, resonate with that a lot because I was sick from a super young age. So I know that's a little different, but what I'm getting at is you know, uh, my parents always joke that and I don't mean this in a, a bad way because there's a negative stereotype associated with some of these things. But if I didn't get into health, I would have been like a lawyer, or Wall Street, whatever. And it's not for the sake of just chasing money. I just I love that rush. I love that entrepreneurial yeah. type of thing. Like, let's go and let's just grind. And the thing is, I'm, I'm thankful in a way for my health issues from a young age because that forced me to really address this early on. And like, yeah, now I do work a lot, but I don't mess with the diet. I don't mess yes. with sleep, you know? Um, it's actually funny because people will assume if I'm meeting them for the first time that I must be someone who stays up late. And I'm like, no, I, I go to bed at like 9, 30, 10, the latest typically, um, and I'm waking up with the sun. And that's because I have to maintain those things now if I want to maintain this busier lifestyle. Yeah. Um, and it's not busy for the, you, you know how it is. It's not busy for the sake of being busy. It's passionate, right? Yeah. I mean, I can tell that you're passionate about this stuff too. I'm, I'm curious, were you in the health? space entrepreneurially before or did this become like when you were doing that Tim Ferriss type of thing was this for a completely different industry or for health?
0: Yeah really good question so um, no it was more in the behavioral space so looking Mm -hmm. and which lended itself quite nicely because now um, (laughs) yeah with what we're doing with sleep uh, one of the things that will come up and I'm sure we'll we'll speak to the many things that people can do wherever they're at with their sleep uh, to improve it but often it's this behavioral change uh, side of things that can be really Um, where people can struggle because often the go-to is what's the supplements? What are the, you know, the uh, gadgets that I can get? What are the biohacks? And yet the often some of the things that are the least sexy can actually be so powerful, but it does take that behavioral shift consistency, um, you know, and just the strong why to uh, stay connected to those things. So it's been really great to kind of bring that in. And then, you know, just a, a real connection to uh, health and well-being and kind of personal development for many years just from a place of um in retrospect it all makes sense for me with my story but having just known myself as someone really high anxiety lots of sort of um, trending towards stress lots of sensitivities um, but then also doing a lot of things that aren't supporting those problems with lots of stimulants and all of that uh so seeing that there's both this interest but then um it honestly wasn't until I hit that rock bottom period that really was willing to change everything.
1: Okay, I just think I think it's cool that right we end up we still have that entrepreneurial spirit and we end up taking it into yes. to this type of space and that, and that's cool. Um, and this is what I believe because, you know, I I dealt with health issues like I said from a younger age, but yes. I started looking at what was causing these things and I started to predict that no one in my generation was going to escape this world unless they change stuff around because we're so bad with what we're doing and it's not their fault right i mean there's tons of toxins we're adding them left and right we're stuck on the blue light all night i'm like i don't think any of my friends even with the best genes are going to make it till 40 or 50 without some type of chronic disease and that sounds like oh 40 or 50 but guys i don't think we should have chronic diseases at 40 or 50 the founder of fdn is the best example that guy is going to turn 70 i think at the next year and he's still wakeboarding doing all this stuff i mean you don't have to tap out at 50 yes um but but my point is it's just like everyone's going to have to pay attention to some of this stuff at one point or another. You know, you might yeah. make it till 40 and you were able to go party all the time or do whatever. But truth is, the majority of the people that I went to high school with now in their mid-20s um, and, you know, even maybe a little older at the late 20s, early 30s, they're all capping out. Mm-hmm. They're gaining excessive weight. They're yeah. exhausted. They have anxiety or depression. We're... 25 to 30 it's like what happens in the next 10 years this is supposed to be one of the some of the best times in terms of like strength and vitality or whatever and what I'm getting at is Sleep is, in my opinion, the number one thing we can do with that because that's when we're restoring. My girlfriend and I went to the gym today. You know, if we don't rest properly, that was not only useless, we actually yeah. just damaged our body. We're going to wake yes. up or not wake up like we'd be crappier the next day because we broke down the muscle. So um, where do you even like begin with people? Uh, where does this start? Because I know that, I mean, even when we were talking before, it seems like there's a lot here. So I kind of just want to break it down. What's like the easy wins for people? Where do you typically start?
0: Yeah, great questions. Um, And great, you know, just kind of awareness of um, and commitment that really um, putting sleep as that foundational piece to the health puzzle, I think is absolutely huge and uh, is beginning to sort of land on more receptive ears I think right now. And we've got enough, more and more studies coming out, more and more interest coming out. The sleep industry in and of itself is, you know, um, looking at a real huge uptick in even just the potential amount of money that is available for people. So suddenly you're seeing so much more of this topic um, in kind of the mainstream. And whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, I don't know, because there's a lot of things that will be and we'll see even way more. And I know more that are coming that are going to be looking for people to invest in this area. Um, But often it's really just getting to some of these basics that are often free. Uh, So let's get into some of those. So Um, what we do with sleep as a skill is one, just beginning with sort of that why getting connected to even the idea that, um, that this conversation or, um, being enrolled in the fact that sleep really could be a skill, which can in in and of itself be this paradox, um, because we might imagine that it's something that's, you know, this, uh, Uh, innate element to us, and it's something that everyone can do, and yet uh, our argument is that in our modern society, we've gotten so divorced from some of the things that we had done for thousands of years, hardwired in our biology, and yet now we're deviating. So from that place, um, really committing that the more we learn in this area, then the more we can do to both stay on track with our sleep, but also course correct with velocity when we inevitably kind of fall off track. Um, So from that place, just kind of coming from that, second. Secondly, uh, we're very big on... On tracking. So we have every person that we're working with is at least wearing the aura ring um, and not from like an affiliation perspective, but just from a way to have a consistent objective um, kind of data points that we can be logging. Uh, but then two, what we're looking at are two key frameworks. So one being the sleep tripod. So uh, we're looking at having consistency between uh, our environment. So our physical sort of environment, but not even just in our bedroom environment, but things that we're doing for the moment we wake up and you know certainly that will align with that circadian rhythm in treatment. Um, And so light exposure, darkness exposure, meal timing, all those things. Uh, But then we're also looking at our psychology. So are there either things that are acutely happening that, you know, there's a death in the family, there's, um, you know, we lost a job position, et cetera, something acute, or is there chronic sort of stressors from a psychological perspective? Um, And then third, it's looking at our physiological health. So are there um, hormonal imbalances? Are there certain genetic indicators? Um, So we're really kind of, looking and uncovering which of those puzzles, of course, they all work together, um, but are there some that are more clear than others that we have a, um, a reference point or a map to go through of the heavy hitters? So that's the first framework. And then just the second one, which we can probably spend the most time on, is circadian rhythm entrainment. So if everyone and their brother was to really just take on this, uh, this principle and understanding this framework, it could be life-changing for many of us. Um, and we can get into some of the things that are involved in that, but all of this is really from this place of understanding that our circadian rhythm or 24 hour rhythm um, is something that exists on a spectrum. So it's, you know, we're either on the, um, might be closer to the weak side of the spectrum or the strong side of the spectrum. And I'd make the argument that many of us are kind of probably more closely aligned with the weaker side. So we're looking to move ourselves over systematically to the stronger side. And what that would look like on the uh, flip side of it is that You're largely consistently, um, automatically, without having to think too much about it, going to bed at around the same time. You're waking up at around the same time. Uh, You're eating at around the same time. You're exercising at, you know, somewhat around the same time, certainly, and, you know, more closely connected to daylight um, periods. You're looking at your thought patterns and you've trained and are working uh, to bring about some of the more stressful things that you might be taking on during those daylight hours and then um, having practices so that we can minimize those in the evening. There's lots of things yeah. we can get into, but that's all within that circadian rhythm entrainment framework.
1: Cool. Well, I would, yeah, like, I would love to talk about that. I think it's fun. And again, I think it's just, I don't even know how I got into this because it might've just been luck. And I, you know, you know how it goes, right? You find one article, you're like, that's cool. That's awesome. And then all of a sudden you're like five years later wearing stupid glasses. (laughs) Um, But (laughs) like, this is important though. And this matters. So let's, you know, start it off from the beginning of someone's day. I mean, what is the first things that they should be doing to really set this circadian rhythm because it's beginning the moment we wake up.
0: Yes. Okay. So one, um, I think speaking to your element of uh, you kind of begin going down this rabbit hole on this topic, Mm -hmm. I think one of the reasons that uh, this topic can be so um, fascinating for people, and certainly was for me, was that there can, once you start learning more and more about it, it can almost speak to this sort of inner knowledge or inner wisdom of, oh, yeah, that fits now that I think about it. And it can just be really um, a blueprint that we can pull from thousands of years ago, how we likely interacted more when we were connected to nature. Um and pulling that into a modern society but still having it all. How can we still watch Netflix but you know, maybe not mess with our melatonin as much and have all having it all at the same time? So first things first, um With circadian rhythm entrainment, what we're looking to do is we have our clients um, do something called a circadian crafted day. So we have them um, kind of plot out what times um, they would be inspired really to seven days a week, go to bed and wake up uh, from, and so when I say that like that, it's more that Um, Sometimes it can take some time if people have been really extreme night owls to go from that straight to uh, suddenly they're rising with the sun and what have you. So we might want to kind of ease them into a bit of a um, shift in their scheduling. And we might have other things that we're considering. They might be shift workers. They might travel a lot internationally or whatever might be at play. Um, So we have them really look mindfully and responsibly and say, what can they commit to for the time being seven days a week? Because that's really the key so that we're not having oh well most of the time I go to bed at this time except for those two or three other days of the week Uh, so we're cutting that out And so suddenly you've got this circadian crafted day where you have a consistent bedtime and wake time. Uh, And then from that place, you're looking to not have it deviate too much between um, with a deviation kind of shift of 30 minutes or so on either side. So plus or minus 30 minutes. Um, Sometimes, you know, you might, something comes up, you might go into like the 40, 45 minute range, but we're looking to have it be as close as possible. Uh, So uh, coming from that consistent place, then you're starting to bring in what are these zeitgebers, which is really uh, another term for time givers that affect your circadian rhythm. So the first one is light, and that is by far the, one of the most powerful um, time givers that we have. So that is the first one that we want to look at. So from that place, then what you're really looking to do is create a ratio of a kind of a high amplitude of a large hit of light, basically throughout the course of the day. And particularly um, known as sunlight anchoring anchored on the first half of the day. And then on the flip side of that, so you can't talk about light without talking about darkness, is that then you want to augment your amount of darkness that you're getting in the evening. So kind of going from dim to total darkness, of course, when we're sleeping um, and having those interplay well. Now, what that would look like in your day is you have your set wake up time and then you're going outside physically each morning um, as closely, you know, kind of married to that uh, wake-up time as possible that you're going outside and getting that sunlight in your eyes specifically uh, without sort of baseball hats, scarves, because um, you also want to aim to get it as much on your skin as possible, vitamin D, um, and so that vitamin D conversation is a big conversation there too, since it's a you know, precursor to serotonin, which precursor to melatonin, so that's all going to be a part of this conversation. Uh, so you want to prioritize that process in your day. And of course it depends on where you might be on the globe. So if you're in a Northern, um, you know, location, then you might need to actually find yourself being out there much longer versus I have a lot of clients that say whatever they're in. I don't know. Um, Canada, and they'll say, well, listen, it's it's uh, December in Canada, so I'm not going to necessarily be, it's just the sun is weak, uh, it's cloudy, why bother? And actually, we want to do the opposite and extend the amount of time that we're uh, connected to that sun to actually begin to get enough of that hit of that uh, rewiring or the uh, resetting of your master clock. And this is all connected to your suprachiasmatic nucleus, which is directly connected with your eyes. So this is that process by which when the light comes in, it tells us what, you know, how to stay on time. Uh, so you're consistently doing that. So if you get nothing else out of what I'm saying, my hope is that at least this practice is something that we can bring in and it's totally free. Um, and if for some reason you're bedridden or something's come up that you can't get outside, um, that is a time when you can look at different alternatives. Um, so there are some light boxes on, uh, the market that actually can help with like the Spurdy lamp is one, um, That has FDA clearance to help uptick vitamin D production. Um, So those are some things, but those are definitely lower on the rung to getting full spectrum sunlight uh, each day. So that is part of our goal. And then I can get into some of the other ones, uh, too, if you'd like to kind of go down.
1: Well, there's so much to hit on there, right? Yes. And I know even um the one doctor I follow, and it's a it's a good recommendation, you know. It's like if the person is, God forbid, bedridden, and this is relevant because some people that we're talking yeah. to, especially here, are so damn sick that they just yeah. can't do much. Um, you know, guys, don't underestimate the ability to just open up a window and face east in the morning, right? Yes. It, is it going to be as profound as yes, walking out there for thirty minutes an hour? Of course not, right? But start somewhere, right? And most people have never even really experienced what it's like to see that as first light unless they're camping. Um, Certainly they're not in the last five to ten years. What do we do? Immediately we go to our phone. We're getting the brightest light yeah. ever. And it's just it's messing up our body from the second that we wake up. Um, And, yeah, I've done a lot of experiments with this. Like I noticed that uh, this is it would sound crazy to anyone else, even in the functional world, but not you. In yeah. the beginning of the pandemic. Obviously, that started in, like, March, kind of. That's when the lockdowns began, right? And so I used this as an opportunity in June to do something I wanted to do forever but never had an opportunity to do. I camped outside for 60 days straight. And um, the only only exception was about, like, seven or eight days. It was thunderstorming. It was in a field. It's stupid. Like, I'm not (laughs) trying to be a hero here. I was just trying to see what happened. I would spend around the first like 2-3 hours in the morning, I'm um, exposed to as much light as possible. And again, it sounds ridiculous, but I'd be out there in like boxers or shorts. I wanted to take it to the extreme to see how much better I could feel. Molly, I was recovering from workouts that would normally take me 72 hours in like 24. I didn't change my diet. I didn't do anything like that. In fact, I actually worsened the diet a little bit because it felt like I was getting so much better. I'm like, is diet how important really is that when I'm doing this correctly? And I'm just getting more and more. I'm out for an hour in the middle of the day. I wasn't burning. And you can tell I'm not a particularly tan person. Yeah. I got tanner. But, like, I only get so dark. I wasn't burning no matter how long I stayed out. I slept like a baby. And what was crazier is in the summer since, like, around here in Pennsylvania, I mean, the last light might be seen at, like, 945 in July, p.m. Mm. And the first light might be seen at 5 I'm only sleeping some nights six hours, which I hate doing normally. And I felt like Superman the next day still. I felt amazing. Mm. Um, and I noticed in the winter now when I still, because I follow my sunrise stuff. But we were just out today hiking for about an hour in the sunrise. Um, I will sleep for like nine hours. I change with the seasons and with the light because yes. I'm actually following the light. So um, I don't want to, you know, make it too much about my experience with no, this. It's I just hard. I, I have a, yeah, I have a bias with this because I love this topic. Um, but yeah, guys, it's like how much people will always ask, like, how much morning light should you get, right? Well, as much as you can up until the point that of course the uv light could be really strong and obviously we don't want people to burn but you know for most places that you live on earth i mean it's going to take two to three hours before any amount of strong uv lights even coming in yeah i hear you know for the last two months we haven't been able to get any meaningful amount of uvb through the atmosphere so it's like that you know what i mean and people underestimate this i also know that people will want to know some objective thing because they're going to be like ev i can't be out for three hours like you were in the summer and you know what neither can i so molly what is your recommendation like a bare minimum type Type of thing, Uh, hey, you know, I'm sold on that. I'll I'll go out and catch morning light. I think that makes sense. She seems like she knows a lot about this stuff. Mm -hmm. How long are you recommending people stay out for?
0: Yeah, really good questions. And two, I love that story. Um, we'll have to uh, chat more maybe offline or what have you about the sure. camping <laughs> experience because that sounds incredible. Also, if anyone wants to follow up on um, kind of uh, different studies in alignment with that, there's a great University of Colorado study that was done bringing in groups of people that were self-proclaimed sort of night owls and then having taking them camping basically for yep. extended periods of time. <laughs> and that. And within a few, de- and really kind of quickly, um, so it was really within a few days there began to be meaningful meaningful shifts where they start to just align with the rhythms of nature and they're starting to go to bed closer to you know when the sun is setting there's no other distractions a total darkness at night and then total brightness in the morning um, and they really start to entrain which is exactly what we're talking about and so there's so much we can do from an environmental behavioral perspective um, so I think that's really really key uh, and then next as far as uh, this topic of the how long to be out there so what I do from a behavioral standpoint is I even have people just begin with five minutes now this is just um, from a place of beginning to make this a habit and to feel like you have some wins uh, and so and the other thing I would put in too is um, there's absolutely benefits and there's great studies looking at um, hospital stays length of stays where um, where patients are close to windows and their ability to then heal presumably uh, with with velocity and then being able to be let out sooner than people that are without a window in their space um so there seems to really be benefits behind a window and at the same time there's also studies looking that it could still take anywhere from 50 to 100 times longer to reset your master clock from behind a window uh, so if that's all you can do fantastic. That's great. We want that open up those blinds, do all that you can to make it as bright in your environment. But ideally getting outside is going to make that difference because it's just that unadulterated light. So we want to get, um, that, you know, kind of that full spectrum light if possible. So starting with those five minutes can be really great, but Um, then we want to start kind of from that place over time, kind of creeping that up ideally. Now it is dependent on where you are on the globe as we were speaking to, and it is dependent on the strength of the sun where at what time you might be at. So later, um, you know, after my issue with my whole sleep and the Tim Ferriss thing, we did actually then travel for around three years, digital nomad style into, you know, a lot of Southeast Asia, a lot of Thailand, a lot of like, you know, close to the equator living. And so there would be times when the sun could be very, very bright, very, very strong, depending on the times that you might be out there. Um, But so we all, we want to do this largely uh, before 10 a.m. if we're giving some blanket sort of um, parameters. So getting that, but certainly ideally very, very Close to when you're waking up, and hopefully, it's in alignment with the rhythms of nature. Um, and then, so we want to start working up to at least around 15 minutes as part of our goal. Uh, but there is an averaging effect that can come out. So I don't want people to think that they're, you know, not doing well or give it up if they can't get in all of that time. Because even if some days you can only get a couple minutes, that's still going to help with that sort of averaging effect. Uh, and then some days you have a little bit more flexibility in your schedule, you stay at a little bit longer. Um, but I will call out too i do work with a lot of clients that are in um, places like sweden or alaska where times when it's just total darkness for periods of time or total brightness um, and that's when you might want to lean into some of the creating a faux um, kind of light dark cycle for yourself and also shift workers and i work with a lot of poker players that kind of have to do the same thing so you can create that faux um, kind of rising and setting of the sun yourself inside if you if you must
1: i I gotta ask, I mean this is totally, it's not off topic but it's not necessarily important to the conversation but hopefully people find it interesting What do you think about the Alaska thing? Because I wonder knowing the benefits of circadian like rhythm um, entrainment now I'm like, were humans supposed to be living there? Because that seems pretty counterproductive Now, most people don't realize that Every part of this earth actually gets the same amount of sun, Um, you know, throughout the year, it's just completely shifted differently, right? You have the equator where it's damn near perfect half and half, and then you have the opposite extremes like Alaska or whatever. But I, I sometimes wonder, I mean, I feel like knowing what I know and what the studies are showing, that would throw us so off. I just can't understand how a human being was supposed to be in that environment. Um. So, just sort of totally side note. What do you think about that? Do you think we're supposed to live there? Does that make sense?
0: So, I can tell you, I just came back from um, Austin, Texas, just yesterday, because uh, we're moving there uh, for. Um, Uh, and uh, in Vegas right now with a lot of the poker player conversation, but kind of tons of sunlight. And I've really set up my life to be able to quote unquote chase the sun was actually an interesting book. If you haven't heard of that one called chasing the sun um, where because of so much of the information that we that is coming out around some of the benefits of being able to be kind of basking in more of that sunlight when possible. Now, at the same time, there's benefits to having, um, like you were speaking to, those shifts where you are shifting with those more dramatic changes in seasons uh, so that you're not having sort of an eternal summer, which is uh, known to have some problems too, because we don't want to have too much sunlight because that can kind of create, Um, a lot of changes in behavior as well. So we want to have sort of this nice marriage. But I will say uh, there's some interesting information around the 37th parallel, it's called. So anything above the 37th parallel. um, So for instance, things like MS rates um, being really markedly higher, the further you're going from this 37th parallel and then if you're going south of that 37th parallel, uh, then there can seem to be some beneficial health benefits. And since for me, health is so crucial. Um, and also this relates to not even just physical health. Uh, but for me, I'm really passionate about the mental health side of things. I shared about the anxiety issues and all of that. Um, and seeing just how much of a difference this can make, uh, it just feels like a no brainer to relocate as much if, if it's possible. Um, I know that's not possible for everyone, but if, um, If we can prioritize that, then there seems to be a real difference. And also just there's a number of other health, um, variables that seem to come up the further and further away into that kind of, um, uh, cooler and darker space that we're deficient of a lot of vitamin D production and other things that we want to be mindful of that.
1: Okay. And that's a great answer. And like, I obviously well thought out because that's the position that I'm in where, i really do believe if someone is super sick now and nothing else has worked i would move like if yes. it, oh, i'll put it that way if it was me i would move yeah um i would go probably like you're in austin texas now or soon to be i think yeah, yeah that's yep. great yep Just um even back. like yeah deerfield beach area little north of fort lauderdale in um, yeah. florida that's going to stay really warm around yep. too it's even in january the high is like 78 so um it's a good place to be it's easy to get out and you know i know that this doesn't I should, I'll word it this way. It doesn't matter as much if you're able to be outside all of the time. Like, I think if you're like a garbage truck driver or yeah. a landscaper or a construction worker, those are some of the best jobs yeah. for this type of stuff. If you know what to do properly and you're not wearing sunglasses all day, that's like, I, I get so upset I when know. I see these guys and girls that are out there and I'm like, oh, no, like you're so know. close, right? All you had to do was take these off. <laughs> um, but the perfect anecdotal experience with this is my dad. My dad was the least sick person in our immediate family. Dad, though, had the worst habits, apparently. Smokes two packs a day, still to this day, Molly, yeah. of the 100s. I mean, yeah. that dude, you can measure the hours that he has a cigarette in his mouth every single day. Um, He ain't stopping anytime soon. He said, if I could smoke in my sleep, I would. Um, I don't think that's in the sleep skills uh, (laughs) business, but that's (laughs) his thing. But you can't argue the guy because he's healthy as a horse. He gets a stress test. They tell me as a heart of a 25-year-old, he's in his 50s. This was just a couple years ago. And um, the most impressive thing that's probably happened is he got COVID and he was asymptomatic within 12 hours. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, wow. But this guy doesn't even look related to me. He is so dark. He almost looks um like from Latin America. Like, he's just that dark because he's been a landscaper since he was 17. Mm. And from 17 until almost 50, he worked seven days a week. He took off one vacation. He took off, like, the rain days and stuff. The rest of the time, he was a seven days a week guy. And what was he doing? Waking up with the sunrise. Yes, smoking his cigarette, but also waking up with sunrise. Yes. He Works all day. Comes home. Goes to bed at 9 o'clock. Didn't even realize he was doing the best thing possible. And so would I make the argument off one anecdotal experience? No. But damn, it's, it's kind of hard to argue this stuff when you see a guy that eats pizza, drinks soda, smokes two packs of cigarettes, but never really wears sunglasses. Has that darkness. I'm sure his vitamin D status is through the roof. And look at him go. I mean, he's running around. No
0: problem. Uh oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, there was a there was a kind of release of the stats of different um, industries and what their sleep looks like. And uh, now this one was a while back, and I'm, I'll be curious to see if anything changes here. But there was a period where uh, people in the forestry industry um, industries, so forest rangers and what have you, had some of the best sleep total sleep time. Uh, we don't know about quality or what have you, but interesting and noteworthy of that outdoor exposure and this is really if we're being really really simple about this everything we're talking about is really um even though we'll talk about kind of fancy language for it and biohacks and all of these things all we're really trying to do is get back to that original blueprint of living within nature Uh, but we're still trying to do it and still have our other fun gadgets and gizmos in the midst Uh, but at the same time like really if you simplify it like Coming back to, um, so the second down on the rung for circadian rhythm entrainment is temperature. So we talk about light, we talk about darkness, and then temperature. So one of the things that you can even argue for one of the modern-day gadgets is still aligned with uh, these rhythms of nature. So like a cooling mattress pad, like a chili pad, or an eight mattress, or any of those um there, the theories or some of the theories as to the why that that would be beneficial is if we're outside sleeping in nature, uh, we would have been likely close to the ground, which is you know the cool, the coolest spot that you can kind of be at throughout the entire course of the night. Uh, so the thinking is that something like those cooling mattress pads while seeming so newfangled and like next level is really just kind of reconnecting us more to how things would have been. There's even another theory where um, kind of, you know, pulling hides or like, you know, so you have for a blanket uh, in the past or could have been like, heavy things that we might have put on us like hmm. furs or what have you. And that could be more akin to like weighted blankets. And like, is that still yeah. part of our kind of DNA? You know, so all of this, though, is just like. Instead of thinking of like, oh my God, we're so coddled now and why do we need all these extra things to sleep? Um, The flip side could really be that all we're looking to do is be a bit more in alignment with how things were when we were just aligned with sunrise and sunset and living within those elements.
1: I, I always explain this again, especially to, like, younger people because, like, my friends respect it. They know that this worked for me, but they're sometimes, like, high school ones can be confused about yeah. it. And I'm like, guys, like, our seeming advancements in technology is actually leading to our human regression. Yes. I mean, we're, we're getting sicker. It's objectively not working. The yeah. life expectancy of my generation ha- is estimated less for the first time in recorded history. Now, here's the thing. Western medicine is getting better by the day. It'd be bad if the life expectancy was staying the same. In theory, you would think. I mean, I'm sure humans have a cap, but if it was staying the same while western medicine's getting better, that already implies that we're kind of doing something wrong. If it's getting worse. Yeah. That's a huge issue. There's a real discrepancy here. Um and and we're really messing up. Um so I wanted to just uh be I mean, it's so clear that you are absolutely no doubt the most educated person uh, that we've had on the podcast about this topic. So I appreciate you coming on. Ah, uh, I, I want to just rattle it. off a few questions that I think have It's not necessarily like on track with what we were doing, but it's important nonetheless. Melatonin supplementation. Do you think there's a time and place for that? Do you think that's something that shouldn't be used? Because I hear this back and forth. Yeah. Um, It annoys the heck out of me. I will admit this is probably the one I'm most confused with. So I like to ask people. And really the question is, does it ever have a place? And then when would that be if so?
0: Uh, Yeah, it's a really good question because there are a lot of kind of conflicting, I call them different camps. So there's two camps, um, sort of the the pro-melatonin and not even just necessarily pro-melatonin, but there can even be uh, high-dosing melatonin strategies Mm -hmm. that people are leaning into and suppositories and all kinds of things um, and seem to have some valid studies around it. So um, even looking at things like cancer and some of... um, the benefits that might be available for people with high dosing melatonin and also with sleep disorders. Uh, so if people are dealing with certain um, REM uh, based disorders or uh, lots of other sleep issues uh, that are not being, um, that were challenged to address uh, naturally or behaviorally, then that could be another approach that people might lean into. So to answer your original question of are there is kind of, is there a time and place for it? There definitely seems to be a time and place for melatonin. Um, and those would be some of those, uh, things that seem to have some validity. And then the other group then, um, which I find myself much more being in alignment with, which is, uh, to a couple things, one, having reverence for the fact that melatonin, um, is a really interesting thing to point to because one, it's a hormone. And I think there should be reverence for anytime we're starting to truly have, um, kind of, uh, hormone replacement therapy, if you will, even though we see it on so many, uh, you know, of our shelves and very mm-hmm. casual marketed often even in kids um kind of cold medicines and uh making it really a casual thing but do remember that in different countries you have to actually in some of those countries get prescriptions in order to get melatonin Um, seriously yeah so there are certain countries that have that that is uh so really important kind of call out that we're it's we're in a bit of a um we're not necessarily the only spaces that uh just are so casual about the fact of having melatonin and secondly if you are going to be um kind of leaning into taking something like this, we do want to first look at all of the behavioral shifts that you can make to uptick your own production of melatonin. Um, because also, if there's, uh, while it is this hormone, it's also one of our most potent antioxidants at the very same time. So it's one of those, confused, kind of like vitamin D, how it's like a vitamin and a hormone and does all these yeah. things. So it's superpower. Uh, so we want to do as much as possible to create our own melatonin production because then there is the concern of um, if we are to be uh, taking this externally, could that impede our body's own ability to produce that. I don't think we have enough of that kind of clear studies. Now people go back and forth on this topic but I still am wary of this especially if there's so much we can do to improve this naturally. Now one really cool study um, NASA was actually a part of because they have vested interest in helping their astronauts stay kind of on time throughout the time where they're shuttling through space and some points it might be uh, sun rising and setting every 90 minutes or so when they're kind of you know ushering through space. So it's really crucial for their own physical and mental well-being to stay on circadian rhythm really cleanly. So with that, this study looked at the difference between static lighting, which is the same type of lighting throughout the entire course of the day. So say they had that on the on the shuttle um, or in the you know kind of space missions, uh, having that same type of lighting the entire time or having dynamic lighting where it adjusts sort of like a circadian rhythm-centric lighting. Um, And what they found is that with static lighting, there was this little uptick in sort of natural melatonin production, but it was this little blip. Whereas with dynamic lighting, it was this measurable sort of like big old Everest peak of naturally produced melatonin. And so we have to remember that melatonin is known as the vampire hormone uh, or the hormone of darkness. So in order to create Create your own melatonin naturally and sufficiently, because you might get a little blip, uh, but to really get bathed in that melatonin, then it's important for you to um, really value darkness. And I think we're in a society that is, uh, we got night lights and we've got the, you know, oh, it's just a little 60 watt light bulb and this, that, and the other. And we really underestimate how much light is in our evening environments. So when we do move that down, I just see this time and time again where clients. You know, they send pictures, they send video of their sleep environment, and what have you. And as we start to just get rid of a lot of those extra lights in the evening, um, they'll just always say not only themselves, but the rest of the family is often getting tired earlier. And it's almost as if like, oh, I can't believe it. That's so weird. But it is yeah. not. It is so clearly wired in our biology.
1: <laughs> um I, again, I mean, we might have to just have you back on. I mean, you have throwing down so much stuff. But the one melatonin thing that you never hear anyone say is that I like that you, you think, hey, maybe logically this would make sense. It is a hormone that if we overuse this or use it too much, we might not be able to produce as much. But everyone says that like it's a fact. And I fell for that as well. There are no good studies yet yeah. showing that use of melatonin um inhibits your natural response yes. in fact there's yes. actually i didn't believe this there was some showing the opposite yes. like people that are sick it might actually trigger a normal response so that's what when i figured that out and that was only a year and a half ago um that got me on the train of like i wanted to experiment with this and you know i i believe i've actually probably overdone it a little bit because i i use it times uh, at times under stress yeah and i've been under stress because of the last two years you know i haven't yes. <laughs> like, i think i take on this state of the world a lot more than I realize. And I'm sure that's true for many people, um, but it has had an effect on me, right? I saw things coming back very minorly, thankfully, but that, you know, like skin stuff or just yeah. um, depressive-like symptoms, things that I had not dealt with in four or five years sure. uh, seem to be coming back and uh, admittedly are still a little present. So yeah. I'm working through that. But um, the melatonin thing for me, now I use it when I'm traveling. Yes. Um, because I, I time zone hop, just frequently enough. No, mm. that I'm pretty confident with that that's helping me. 100%. Um, and I love the extended release stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Most people are taking like a blast of three to 10 milligrams. Um, I like, you know, 1.5 to three extended release over six hours. That feels really good. Um, I wake up very alert. And yeah, it might not be my normal sleep at home. But yes, I do feel good for traveling, especially, and it's not messing me up because, I mean, you know how it is. If you're living this lifestyle, you just said that you were traveling yesterday. Now, right, you're on a podcast. You got to show up and be your yeah. best self. That's why it's important to me um the other th- well we still have time for a couple more on um, the other thing i'm interested in because i've never even asked this on the show because i don't know anyone that's familiar with it but you might be there was a meta-analysis that was done on both humans and um or what well, meta-analysis done with studies that contain both humans and animals showing that exposure to EMFs that were about 50 to 60 hertz actually lowered melatonin. Are, are you familiar with this? Yes. So
0: um, a couple okay. of things. We do a lot with sleep as a skill on the topic um, of EMFs. Now, it is a controversial topic. Uh, and so, you know, um, with that kind of asterisk uh, calling out that absolutely doing due diligence to shift, um, the amount of EMFs in our space. And certainly while we're sleeping, um, seems to have some pretty solid, um, information behind it. Now, sometimes you do have to go out of country to get more of these studies. Um, now that's like a longer topic on the why and all of that, but, um, but assuming an end, I like, um, I know we were mentioning Ben Greenfield. I think he was someone that's pointed to, okay, even if there is a lot of this controversial conversation and, um, counter information coming out that even from that place what would be the harm to very much minimizing the amount of just extra things that are in your sleep environment certainly uh, for at least you know those seven to nine hours or so that you might be in that environment um, and then even looking at what would be the harm in potentially minimizing some of those things you're exposed to throughout the course of the day where possible. Um, and absolutely there seems to be some effects where, uh, we're looking at melatonin and how that plays a role. Cause certainly if we're talking about antioxidant, our ability to kind of heal throughout the course of the night, um, Then having that impeded would be very counterproductive, especially to a lot of clients I'm working with that are high performers. They're looking to, you know, kind of squeeze every inch out of their ability to recover and what have you. And if we are impeding that, there's really just uh, no reason for it.
1: Right. And, you know, like you said, I mean, there are, the studies things the whole episode in and of itself yes. right but that was one of the most solid ones that i had seen yep. i love when i can find something i'm like okay some meta-analysis done with both humans and animals like, i like this yeah. right there's there's something here uh because the question really i was looking for or to answer at that time was just do emfs have an effect because people will still act like that's tinfoil hat stuff i'm like
0: yeah
1: again it just it drives me crazy sometimes I i'm know. like how is this like there's clearly studies showing this has an effect i didn't say it's the worst thing in the world if it was really the worst thing in the world i'm I'm like an hour away from philadelphia right yeah those people are bombarded they'd be dropping dead in the street compared to what i'm in if it was that that bad but obviously it's doing something so you know we don't have to be tinfoil hat we don't have to be crazy like yes it we're affecting us and you know people also forget that the sun by definition, is its own form of radiation. You know, it's part of this um, EMF spectrum. So we know how much that benefits us, and that's a very, very small portion. Well, I shouldn't say the sun in general. Visible light is a very small portion of the actual uh, electromagnetic spectrum. So... I think it's probably fair to say that it's affecting us in different ways. I just um, – it drives me crazy. That That's a side point. I want to make sure that we get in um, our signature question on the podcast as well as where people can find you. One other thing I want to throw out real quick because you alluded to it in the beginning and I don't think this is talked about nearly enough um, is meal timing and its effects yes. on circadian rhythm because I forget uh, – we- <sighs> What's the one researcher's last name? Is like Panda. Or oh yeah, Sachin Panda. Yeah. Yeah, I think this was one of the first things that came out with this, showing that like legitimately that hey, meal timing does affect it. So um, for people that are confused that meal timing could affect your circadian rhythm, actually, and no, we don't just mean that eating late affects digestion; it's literally affecting the circadian rhythm. Um, could you give us a little info on that and like what that means? Maybe what's the optimal meal time for people?
0: Yes. Okay. So I'm so glad you mentioned that because um, I don't want to leave us hanging with that um, mm-hmm. kind of circadian rhythm entrainment conversation. Um, and some of the big heavy hitters. So we talked about light. We talked about temperature. Now, nestled under temperature, the things that could um, shift our temperature in either uh, in alignment with strength and air circadian rhythm or counter, uh, one of the big ones is about meals, so meal timing and meal type. So those two things can really hugely shift our body temperature, um, but also our glucose levels and number and, and just the process of turning on the digestive system at uh, kind of counterproductive times that would uh, tell the body, well, presumably if we're eating at 9 p.m., we must need to be eating, um, making energy for something. So if something must be coming or must be doing something. So it's sending the wrong signals at the wrong time. So, um, if people want to learn more about this, uh, Dr. Sachin Panda is absolutely a fantastic um, kind of source point. He wrote the book "The Circadian Code," uh, so he has That's you know awesome. decades of uh, information on the Salk Institute. Uh, so, looking at how um, how just closely tied, these two things are. So we want to look at our first bite. So what time are we having our first bite of food? And what time are we having our last bite of food? And according to the circadian code, now there's lots of different things of how people quantify when are are you're fasting or when are you not fasting. Does this involve a coffee? Does this involve a tea? Like, you know, people go nuts on the topic. And for good reason, because it's confusing. Uh, But from the topic of entraining your circadian rhythm, the thinking is really anything that's not water will kind of send the signal to the body because every virtually every single cell in our body has a clock. And so all of these little clocks are, um, there's both the peripheral clocks in, you know, throughout the course of your, throughout your body um, and kind of your central master clock, that um, SEN, that uh, suprachiasmatic nucleus. So keeping these things all on time is, is a job. And so if we have um, something coming outside of that, uh, meal timing rung, then that can confuse the body on what it should be doing and when. So what I see most commonly, because every client we have, they're wearing different wearable trackers. Um, often they may be wearing um, continuous glucose monitors at the same time. And we did a um, kind of a focus group uh, through levels and Aura Ring and overlaid uh, people's continuous glucose data and their Aura Ring data. And one thing that we found that was really just a small kind of group of people, so very informal, but Um, What we yeah. yeah, it was still really cool, and so out throughout that process, one of the things that we did seem to find was that as people are eating later. Uh, then we would either find um, more inconsistency with their um, bed timing, so their goal timing, so their sleep latency, uh, and we would often particularly find an uptick in wake-ups, um, and that did depend on a couple things. It was what type of foods are they having, and, but particularly that timing became really important because also just no matter what you're eating, if you are going through the process of digestion um, it is a taxing process on the body. It has to be all this blood flow sent to the stomach and, you know, we're having to deal with this and so uh, we'll find often this uptick in body temperature as a result of digestion and often there could be other things too. So uh, this can get really layered. This why sleep can be a skill because uh, you know, might have histamine issues and so then suddenly that might keep you more up and there's so many things that can come as a result of uh, the timing of your type of food and how that can play a role in your sleep. Uh, but for the simple process, one of the things that we suggest people play with is something called circadian rhythm intermittent fasting. And again, this is bioindividual, and of course, you know, consult with your, your doctor, et cetera, et cetera. But, um, if you play with something like circadian rhythm intermittent fasting, what that is, is a kind of, um, fancy set of words where you're eating between sunrise and sunset at the very least. Um, and so, and so you're aiming to do that throughout the entire year. And if you start to kind of deviate and go into more of the periods of darkness, you want to just try to course yourself, of course, correct yourself a little bit back. Um, but by and large, we find that that is helpful for um, uh, really this balance of blood sugar and insulin that seems to get disrupted the later we go into the evenings mm-hmm. and the closer that is to our bedtime.
1: Wonderful. Yeah, I, at this point, it's, and it's like, you don't want to, like, limit yourself in today's modern world, right? You gotta find your unique balance, everyone. But, I mean, I don't even want to go eat at a restaurant at, like, 7 or 8 p.m. anymore. I don't feel good. Especially, like, when you're going out, what do you get? And you're gonna get something fun, you get, like, a damn steak or whatever. That is, like, the worst thing I could possibly eat late at night. It just does not work for me um now again maybe if you're going to bed at 2 a.m you're not even really noticing that effect right. but for someone that's going to bed at 9 30 10 yeah if i go ahead and have a steak at 7 i not even a question yeah. that will affect me every single time a Yep. Very strong. Yes. So, um, all right, cool. Well, we are uh, just about to wrap up. Um, I'm going to ask you a signature question, but Molly, where can people find you? And also, even though you've said it a few times, like who is your kind of ideal client? Um, I always like to ask people that so that if a listener is listening and saying, hey, Molly seems cool, like I want them to know that they're the right person for you as well. So, who's the ideal client and what do you offer? Where can they find you?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, as far as our ideal client, we are really looking. Um, so, traditionally, for the most part, it's people that are making their their own hours, so they're entrepreneurial, they're high performers, uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, different groups that seem to struggle with that ability to have the freedom to make their own schedules uh, but at the same time can be this blessing and a curse, um, and then are looking to really up-level their performance, their productivity, um, kind of curious about the, where they're at and how they're performing and how they can and get excited about the fact that they can often make that difference. Uh, but we do also work with, too, we um, want to do as much to help support different types of groups. So at the same time, we've worked with different people that are shift workers. Um, We'll work with different people that um, still might have more of a nine to five, but at the same time, they are still struggling even with that sort of um, kind of created consistency. Uh, So we really are looking to be a part of... um, the, the sleep improvement process for people that are clear that this can um, really support their lives and their health. Uh, and so, but with that, there's lots of different ways that people can be a part of that. So we try to have many different tiers of involvement
1: and where can people find you
0: oh thank you uh, so, so I
1: asked you like three yeah. things so fair enough
0: <laughs> no that was great uh, so the the where so sleepisaskill.com um, really acts as a bucket for all kinds of things so once you're there a um, couple things you can do you can take a sleep assessment and then you'll get kind of um, targeted information back uh, specifically for what you're dealing with with your sleep right away um, but then also we have a weekly newsletter we've been going on I think 180 like two editions every single monday we don't miss a monday so we our aim is to get you sort of like as much information kind of have it be the most obsessive newsletter on sleep uh that we can put out so we have lots of different things from our clients or uh readers or followers that are testing different things with their sleep and often their stats involved with that kind of breaking those down which is really interesting um and then we also have the podcast, the Sleep is a Skill podcast that has uh, lots of different sleep experts and uh, latest and greatest sleep tech or approaches or what have you. Uh, and then you can also, if you're still from that place struggling, so you can either get all that free information um, you know, consistently and we also do uh, online different sleep spotlights like on um, IGTV and those sort of things to have consistent information. But if you're still struggling from there, then we also have um, both 90-day programs for one on ones and small groups.
1: Cool. Great name, too. So easy to remember, right? Sleep is a skill. Yes. So good. <laughs> um, all right. We will finish up today with the signature question on the Health Detective podcast. And this is fun because this could kind of go a few ways depending on how specific you get. But anyway, the question is if we were able to give Molly a magic wand and you could get every single person in this world to do one thing for their health or get them to stop doing one thing. What is the one thing you'd get them to do?
0: Oh, my God. Well, clearly I'm biased, uh, but it would be all about prioritizing sleep in that process if you're someone that's listening and you are um, looking to improve your health to kind of restructure that pyramid of health that you might be thinking of of okay well it's a new year so I'm going to get the you know the nutritionist and the personal trainer and the this and the and the that instead how can we learn about and prioritize our sleep and put that on the really most crucial foundational rung because from that place then the going to the gym and the eating well and all those things are much more likely to happen consistently because what is the first, you know, thing that kind of gets cut often, um, you know, is if we're not sleeping, then suddenly it's, we're too tired to get to the gym and we make the poor choices because our glucose levels are higher and all these things are happening, uh, with our sleep. So prioritizing that sleep. Um, I don't know if I can have like an asterisk with it, but with that is to, (laughs) to, um, to bring in that one thing that we called out throughout this conversation, um, which is that light prioritization. So really um, having that sunlight hunger to seek out sunlight um, as much as we possibly can and ideally anchored on the earlier half of the day, uh, just because that can be such a grounding practice for people and just such a tangible and almost innate thing of like, yes, I know I this, this feels right for most people uh, once they start doing that. And it can just kind of help all the other practices fall into place. Because if I didn't explain it well enough, I want to just also say that based on when you see that first shot of bright light in your day, that kind of creates this invisible countdown clock where from that point, then it will kind of choose the time that you are going to get tired later on in the evening. So there's a very real cause and effect if you're not seeing your brightest shot of light until, you know, back, back when I used to wake up so late, it might be 12 one in the morning uh, one in the afternoon i'm sorry when you're getting that big bright of uh, shot of light and then of course then from that place i'm not going to get tired to another you know 16 hours after that and so it's going to be real late so you want to also get that there's a very clear uh, mechanism happening here and it's not just sort of like a nice thing to do
1: cool all right, Molly, thanks so much for coming on today.
0: Uh, well, thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be connected and thank you for the work that you're doing and also just being an example for someone at a you know relatively young age uh, to be showing what's possible in prioritizing your health and how to kind of have it all work within your life. Thanks for tuning in to the Health Detective Podcast. If you are ready to finally work with a real health detective on your health journey so that you can get well and stay well naturally, visit us at fdmthrive.com and click the Get Started Here button.